Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by senior advisor to The Lincoln Project and host of LPTV's The Breakdown, Tara Setmayer. Tara, thanks for joining me. Always a pleasure, Reed. Also on board today is my fellow co-founder, also host of LPTV's The Breakdown and author of Everything Trump Touches Dies, Rick Wilson. Rick, welcome back. Hey, Reed. So, guys, today I want to talk about the latest in the McCarthy Liz Cheney saga, as well as how media covers DC in itself a little bit. And I want to talk a little bit about Josh Hawley's recent live stream with the Washington Post and just sort of what that means more broadly. But first, Donald Trump's return to social media. And when I say that, I mean he has created a blog. So congratulations, Mr. President. Party like it's 1999. <laughs> I mean, everybody talked about a platform, guys. Right. Dear Live Journal. Yeah. Dear Diary. Mitch looked at me in class today. He's got a slam book and he's going to write things in it. <laughs> I mean, former president of the United States. He is, I assume, still has tens of millions of dollars of political money flowing in the coffers, still has, if not a talented political team, at least a passable digital team. And Tara, this is the best they could come up with. So is this just one more way to get people to sign up or is like the Donald think? Well, it's on my blog now, so it's just like Twitter. I mean, it's really quite remarkable that someone who paid tens of millions of dollars, like what was it, 90 million to his former web designer guy, Brad Parscal, and had a massive digital operation, that this is all they could muster up. I thought we were supposed to get like a new Twitter or Parler or Facebook or something like that. What happened to all of that? He just got lazy at Mar-a-Lago and decided that he'd rather just play golf and eat at the buffet and crash people's weddings and whine and complain about losing the election. It's ridiculous that it's literally a blog. Well, it's interesting you say that because Jason Miller, who is about as loathsome a creature amongst a passel of loathsome creatures as you're going to find in Trump's orbit, actually tweeted this, Tara. Quote, President Trump's website is a great resource to find his latest statements and highlights from his first term in office. But this is not a new social media platform. We'll have additional information coming on that front in the very near future, which means they tried to build something and it didn't work. Right. <laughs> that, like, don't hold your breath, people, because we've been waiting for the infrastructure week and the health care plan for four years from Donald Trump. So I wouldn't hold your breath on that social media platform. As my daughter calls it Trumpler, which is a portmanteau of Trump and Tumblr, which is a horrifying prospect no matter how you slice it. But I mean, let me ask you this, though. I mean, in Trump's heart of hearts, did somebody tell him how much it was going to cost to actually create something like Twitter? Yeah. And he's like, yeah. well, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. And they told him, they said, listen, you're not going to be able to use AWS from Amazon or Azure from Microsoft or any of these other major cloud hosting services if you invite your little friends from the Proud Boys and the alt-right 
and the anti-vaxxers and the QAnon kooks, and you're not going to be able to use the platforms that provide those services. And then they said, so Don, here's the bill for building out the iron to run your big data center you would have to do to scale like this. And A, he can't raise that money. He doesn't have that money. And B, it looked like too much work. Now he's got basically a WordPress site, like a billion other people. And, you know, you can do dramatic readings from it. And he's asking his followers to retweet it and post it to Facebook. Like today's was, Liz Cheney's a warmongering fool. There's no business in the Republican Party leadership. We want leaders who believe in the Make America Great movement and prioritize the values of America first. Elise Stefanik is a far superior choice. She's my complete and total endorsement for the GOP conference chair. Elise is a smart and tough communicator. I will not do many more dramatic readings in the voice of Trump. I'm not very good at it. We should get J.C. Coven in here to, <laughs> right. to really rack those out. Look, this is what I call the Jason Miller stenography project, where he's going to scream, Miller! And Stephen and Jason are going to look at each other, wonder which one it's supposed to be, and they'll shamble into the office. Uh, yes, sir, Mr. President. And he'll blurt out some verbal dysentery and put it up on his blog. All I could think of last night was, Dear Live Journal. Wait, Rick. Yes. You know, when we're back on the breakdown, we may have to do dramatic readings of Trump's nonsense. That's an idea. I'm down. We'll have to think about I'm that. I'm down. I'm down. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think it would be great. And, you know, you guys could have a whole segment on it. I mean, I think it's also interesting that, you know, Facebook this week upheld its ban of Trump, that it would not allow him back on their platform. I don't know if I was surprised or not. I was talking to a friend of mine earlier today who said, but of course, the way they did it, gave, you know, right-wing wackos all the ammunition they need to say, see, conservatives are still being silenced on social media. We need to break these people up. And so I guess, you know, maybe everything old is new again, which is the new social media platform for Donald Trump is nothing but something that an eight-year-old could probably figure out these days. Speaking, by the way, of people who don't get things, I just have to read you guys this tweet from the noted political philosopher Charlie Kirk. The U.S. Supreme Court should overturn the Facebook Oversight Board's ruling, which is in quotes, which upholds the outlawing of the 45th president of the United States from social media. This is a big tech corporate oligarchy without standing, and it's gone too far. Enough is enough. I can't even begin to tell you how asinine that statement is. <laughs> this, to me, is an indication that civics education in this country uh, is failed. For There's sure. a crying need for civics education in this country. Of the highest order. Of the highest order. First of all, Charlie, Mr. Kirk, the Supreme Court doesn't just overrule <laughs> private companies' decisions. That's number one. Number two, even if the government did make this decision, someone would have to sue and it would have to go through a process in the courts to actually have standing, a writ of certiorari. So what a jackass. I mean, he is just so colossally stupid. It's hard to believe that this guy actually has a following of any sort. Terry, you're absolutely right. But I think this is a window into where the Kirks and the Trumps and the Millers of the world want to be, which is they want the Supreme Court of the United States to be like the Supreme Court of Venezuela or the Supreme Court of Russia or the Supreme Court of Argentina, which is it's a bunch of political hacks. And certainly, you know, we've seen the last couple of conservative seats filled by people who had very little business being there in the first place. But this is what they want. They want the Supreme Court's jurisdiction to be whatever they say they want it to be. And so he is a jackass of epic proportions. But we should always take a moment to say, you know, if they had their way, that's what they'd do. Well, I think it's important, actually, to point out the fact that 
everything they accuse the left of being, they actually support. It's unbelievable. This is another perfect example of that. We have seen the right in absolute hysterics claiming that the country's going to hell in a handbasket. They're taking away your freedom. All of these things, you know, Joe Biden is some crazy progressive authoritarian socialist. Seizing the means of production. Right. Like (laughs) you people are actually calling for things that are anti-constitutional, anti-democratic, like wanting the Supreme Court to just do the bidding of their political masters. That is one of the tent poles of tyranny. These people are unbelievable, but because they're so willfully ignorant or completely out of their minds, they don't seem to care. They just want the power of the masses following them around, doing what they say, and rallying them behind these twisted, illiberal, anti-democratic means of governing. It's insane. And these are the forces that we're up against every single day. This stuff has been mainstreamed. The Republican Party is mainstream this type of authoritarianism, actually. So, you know, Tara, to that end, you know, I want to talk a little bit about how the D.C. media covers this. The political media seems to be unable or unwilling to really pull apart the fact that like what we're seeing among the Republican Party is not normal, that it may be a binary political system, but that doesn't make it equitable as far as its beliefs systems are concerned. So this week, the Washington Post did a live stream with Senator Josh Hawley, one of the architects of the January 6th sedition movement inside the chamber. And it was a live stream about technology with reporter Kat Zakreski to discuss antitrust reform and the future of the GOP. And the interview started with Hawley being asked about January 6th, and there were, as would be expected, some very on-brand Josh Hawley moments. Rob, why don't we play that first clip of Hawley? I want to... Get back to the point well, no, that you no, said. No, 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 hold on. No, 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 no. You can't have it both ways, Kat. No, you can't have it both ways. You can't say that they just that they heard the merits and dismissed it. That's wrong. That's wrong. The Supreme I, I Court said didn't the, the merits. No, the and, third so, hold circuit on. No, no, it's an important court. point. It's an important point. Listen, it's an important point. Don't don't try to censor, cancel, and silence me here. You raise the issue. So if you raise the issue, you've got to listen to the truth. What a bitch he is. I'm I mean, telling you. He's very whiny. But Tara, I mean, I understand they had a tech reporter doing this interview. But how could anyone in the Washington Post's editorial and leadership offices have any expectation that he would do anything other than ultimately use this as a platform for his own wackiness? Yeah, that was the first thing I thought. I was like, well, what the hell did they expect? When you continue to give these people a platform, this is what you're going to get from them. You know, it's the argument that my former colleague over at CNN, Chris Cuomo, used to say, because he would catch a lot of crap for bringing on some Trump supporters like Giuliani and Kellyanne. And the conversations were never productive. All they would do was overtalk and insult. And it was just frustrating for the viewer and you would never get anywhere. And so my good friend Don Lemon would say, Chris, why do you continue to bring these people on? Why are you giving them a platform? And he would argue that it's so that the American people can see what they're doing. And, you know, I vacillate back and forth on this, whether we should do that or not. But I think there should be a certain amount of responsibility that if these mainstream media organizations are going to bring obnoxious grandstanders, dishonest grandstanders like the Josh Hawleys and Ted Cruz's of the world, onto these platforms, that they have someone that is equipped with the skill set to check them. Josh Hawley should not be able to overtalk and run over and say things like that to a reporter and not get fact-checked on the spot. 
So if they're going to do that and they're still going to invite these people on, they have to have someone that has the ability to fact check them and push back on the spot. Otherwise, it turns into a one-sided soliloquy of propaganda. But Rick, let me take that a step further and reference CNN, where Tara, I believe, was once a contributor. Last week, Rick Santorum went on his own sort of Anglo-Saxon is greatest for all rant. He is still a paid contributor to CNN. I mean, first of all, look, he was a one-term senator. He's a horrible human being. Do not Google his name. I'm begging and pleading. Do not Google <laughs> Santorum. Do not do it. Yeah, you're right, Reed, though. He is a shit-tier human being. He's a bad dude. Don't let anybody fool you with the whole Righteous Rick Santorum Act. It's an act, folks. He's not a good guy. Right. But I mean, to Tara's point, I mean, you know, I think it was Jeff Zucker of CNN who said, or maybe Les Moonves of CBS, Trump may be bad for the country, but he's good for business. Yeah, it was Moonves. Jeff Zucker is the one that gave Trump his television career by greenlighting The Apprentice. So there is a different certain amount of responsibility on Mr. Zucker's part <laughs> for the Trump debacle. I mean, but if you're going to be the fourth estate, why have Rick Santorum on your airwaves? I mean, Tara, why would they do that? Because it's become such a hubbub now they know people will tune in if they think he's on? Well, it's had the opposite effect, actually. Because if you notice that CNN used to do panels and, you know, I had the experience of getting into some rather spirited debates during the 2016 election cycle and after with Trump supporters on these panels. And CNN made an editorial decision to shift away from them because they were becoming unproductive, because they were catching a lot of slack for having these Trump sycophants on there, just saying things that were completely untrue. And it was not fun for the viewer. It wasn't informative. It wasn't an enjoyable viewer experience. So I think the decision was made that someone like Rick Santorum, because he was a former senator and congressman and he ran for president a couple times, he didn't yell and scream like everyone else. He was presentable enough that they would keep someone like him on to bring some counterbalance to the conversation, which was always going after Trump and going after Republicans. They needed to have someone on the other side. So I guess he was OK, because let's not forget, CNN had Jack Kingston at one point as a contributor. They had Jason Miller at one point as a contributor. I mean, like people were tuned out by it. If you want to hear that, go over to Fox and then others. So I think they think that they're going to get a counterbalance by having him on. And I think it's really wearing out its welcome. I mean, Cuomo had him on again to answer for those comments alongside my good friend and friend of the Lincoln Project, former Congressman Charlie Dent, to talk about that. But Chris Cuomo lit into Rick Santorum and he wasn't contrite at all. He was not contrite for the obnoxious comments that he made about Native Americans and not having any influence in American culture and all the things that he said that were just awful. Don Lemon was so incensed. Yeah, Don took the wood to him. <laughs> he actually called me, by the way, before he went on air <laughs> to say to me, did you just see that? I'm furious. And it was like five minutes before he was going live. He was so upset. He's like, I am about to light into him. I said, you know what? Be you. And he was. And he did. And for those who hadn't seen it, they should, because Don was 100 percent correct. Rick Santorum deserves the William Pitt and Andrew Jackson Award for uh, lack of humanity. <laughs> right. Indeed. I think this is what we see is a perfect textbook case of the imbalance that we have, is that there is no such thing as a moderate, reasonable, even impassioned center-right party anymore. You have Democrats who have their perspective, you know, fine, and you have the Rick Santorums of the world and the Jason Millers of the world, you know, the both sidesism doesn't work. It's not equal. 
you know, Reed, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine today who said, you know, you guys, because last night, apparently, Harry Reid praised us on Brian Williams, and somebody called me about it. You know, he was saying that the drama that's playing out right now between Liz Cheney and Kevin McCarthy and the crazies, you know, that's just symptomatic of what's going to happen here. The best case scenario, when the Republicans take the House, and for our Democratic friends who are thinking we can take a few months off and take a deep breath, let me throw some cold water on you. There's about an 80% chance they win back the House right now. There's a lot of work to be done. But what's going to shock people is not Kevin McCarthy as speaker. What's going to shock people is Jim Jordan as speaker or Paul Gosar as speaker or some other lunatic like Marjorie Taylor Greene as speaker because Kevin McCarthy is not pure. He said bad things about Trump once upon a time, and it will lead to the national populists, the QAnoners, the crazies having an outsized amount of influence. There used to be a freedom caucus. Now it's going to be like the fuck up caucus. These people are insane and they're going to have control. So, you know, that's a great segue. So Tara, we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording. So Liz Cheney from Wyoming is the number three ranking member in the U.S. House Republican Conference. She's the what's called the conference chair. And she obviously voted to impeach Donald Trump. She has been outspoken about the fact that you know, one six was an insurrection, that the 2020 election was not stolen. She doubled down on those comments this week. And Kevin McCarthy went on Fox and Friends, everybody's favorite fascist morning show, and said that members had voiced concerns about her ability to carry out her duties. Rob, let's play what McCarthy said. There's no concern about how she voted on impeachment. That decision has been made. I have heard from members concerned about her ability to carry out the job as conference chair, to carry out the message. We all need to be working as one if we're able to win the majority. Remember, majorities are not given, they are earned. And that's about the message about going forward. Combating Joe Biden, what he's done to this border by making it insecure and what's coming across. Just what he's doing here about small businesses, not opening schools, not getting us back to work, back to health, back to normal. That's the message we should be talking mm -hmm. about. I haven't heard members concerned about her vote on impeachment. It's more concerned about the job ability to do and what's our best step forward that we can all work together instead of attacking one another. All right. So <laughs> Kevin McCarthy doing his most Kevin McCarthy mm -hmm. thing, blaming someone for standing up for democracy when most of the conference won't. But before that clip, Rob, let's play what Kevin McCarthy did not expect the world to hear. I think she's got real problems. I, 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 I've had it with I've had it with her. It's, you know, I, I've lost confidence. Well, someone just has to bring emotion, but I assume that will probably take place. All right. So that was Kevin McCarthy off air, but on a hot mic basically saying he's had it with Liz Cheney. He's had it with her because she's unwilling to just let January 6th go by. So Tara, I want to come to you because you were obviously a communications director in the U.S. House for a number of years. So first, what does the conference chair do for our listeners? Explain that role. And then second, take us inside one of these conference meetings. Like, What's the dynamic like and what do you think it's going to be like here in the next however many days as the Liz Cheney a least Stefanik showdown probably comes to its head. So much to unpack from that McCarthy statement claiming that people are questioning Liz Cheney's ability to do her job as conference chair. And he ticked off a bunch of policy issues that that's not what Republicans are talking about. He just glossed over the fact that the real reason that they are going after Liz Cheney's leadership position is because Donald Trump told him to take her out because 
she is speaking the truth and calling them out on the bullshit that the 2020 election was fraudulent. She refuses to say that. She refuses to lie. And she refuses to let January 6th go by because all of them are connected. There was an attack on our democracy. The party Lincoln should not be glossing over what happened on January 6th. That was the off-ramp for them. And they decided to stay on Trump highway. So it's remarkable to me. The person who thinks he's going to be the future Speaker of the House is literally doing the bidding of Donald Trump to kick out someone like Liz Cheney, who has like a 90 percent heritage action rating for conservatism and Republicanism. And Elise Stefanik has like a 48 percent rating by the Heritage Foundation, which that scorecard used to make or break Republicans, particularly conservatives, you know, what heritage thought of you. Anyway, so what does the conference chair do? Who are these people? Because to the lay person outside of the Capitol Hill world, you're like, I don't understand what a conference chair is. Are they planning conferences? Like, what are they doing? No, the conference chair is the number three person in leadership. It goes the leader, whip, and then the conference chair. Their job is to message. They are the communications arm of the Republican caucus in Congress. So it's true that that person has to be simpatico with Republican leadership on basically getting the other members of Congress all on the same page as far as what their messaging is going to be, what their priorities are going to be when they're out there speaking on different policy disagreements or bills or legislation they're introducing, or if the opposite party is doing something they don't agree with, and then the conference kind of gets together and they have weekly messaging meetings where the press secretaries can go for all of the congressional offices and they go and they have the press secretaries meetings that are led by the conference chair's staff. So they have the staff conference chair meetings and then they have the member conference caucus meetings. And so, you know, this was just something that you did. It was like a staff meeting every week to make sure everybody's on the same page on the basic big tent pole issues. So, yeah, I guess Liz Cheney isn't qualified anymore because she's not lying her ass off like the rest of them. She won't kiss the ring. So they want to get rid of her because she's now a heretic, which is crazy. Some of these conference chairs in the past haven't been so dynamic. Most people outside of Capitol Hill couldn't name one other conference chair besides her. Kathy McMorris Rogers. Well, I mean, <laughs> you're an insider, right? I mean, you may not live here, but you are an insider. And, you know, Kathy McMorris Rogers was the conference chair for several years. And she had to be one of the most even-handed, mundane, boring conference chairs because she really doesn't have much personality. But she was a worker bee and she was a woman. So it broke up the old white guys look for the Republicans. And she served dutifully. But then, you know, Liz Cheney is a Cheney and she was a rising star. And they saw her as someone who would be much more dynamic because as time has gone on, the performative politics of it all, getting those hits on Fox and getting on the blogs and the newsletters and getting the viral hits and stuff, they wanted more of that, someone who had more personality. And, you know, Liz Cheney comes from a political dynasty family. Her father was conference chair when he was in Congress at one point. John Boehner was conference chair at one point in Congress. Mike Pence was the conference chair at one point when he was in Congress. The conference position is also oftentimes looked as a stepping stone into leadership and bigger things because you get to control the message. So some of these meetings over the years when I was on Capitol Hill was 2006, 2013. The conference was a little dull, and then it got a little more spicy when we had the Tea Party folks come in in 2010. 
And that is really when the conference started to become a little more raucous because you had a good chunk of folks. They weren't the Freedom Caucus before. They were the Republican study group. Remember those guys, Rick? Oh, yeah, for sure. So they kind of uh, grew out into the Freedom Caucus, the Tea Party guys. And then now we see that they've been more mainstreamed and they're much louder. So I would imagine that the conference meetings now over the last couple of years since the era of Trump have been a lot more eventful because there are a lot of members of Congress who were not comfortable with some of that messaging. But then they all fell in line because you either fall in line or else. Well, you know, read it. One of the things about the conference as it was comprised for decades before this and now is it has abandoned all of the ideology that used to inform the GOP. We talk about this all the time, but these guys are going to go in that room and they're not thinking, how do we pass tax relief? How do we pass pro-business measures? How do we do the things that we think would be good for the economy or the country? They are in that room thinking, how do we own the libs? How do we make Trump like us? How do we put on a show that gets us on Fox tonight? And you will have more and more of these people like Boebert and Green and Gates and Gosar that are going to end up being the definitive images people have in their heads of what the conference is and what the GOP is. They're going to think that it's all crazy town. It's all these people. And Rick, to that end, so many of these districts are gerrymandered to within an inch of their lives. So they're not in any way competitive. So many of the people you just rattled off are not in competitive seats. They will not be in competitive primaries. And you take someone like a Marjorie Taylor Greene, who raised over $2 million in the first quarter of 2021. She doesn't need McCarthy's money. She doesn't need his super PACs. She doesn't need any of that stuff. And in fact, most of these guys don't. And that for McCarthy for years and Ryan before him and for McConnell, the way they've kept people in line was purely like, if you do what I ask, you will get the money. But now they don't need that. Now, they may need it in the Senate, certainly, because it's going to be such a tough map. But for a lot of these people, to your point, whether they're in the majority or the minority, they don't need McCarthy. They don't need to listen to him. They can go and do whatever it is they want to do with little to no repercussions. You think Marjorie Taylor Greene really cares she's not on a committee? Do you think that's really why she went to Congress? Not in the slightest. No. In fact, it's better for her not to be on a committee. It's why Matt Gaetz shows up when he can be on camera at hearings. Other than that, the guy does not spend a whole lot of time digging in on the deeper minutia of legislative affairs. Right. Because, again, to care about any of that stuff, for any of them, governance would have to be somewhere on their list of things to do. It's boring at that point in their minds. They're not about philosophy or principle or organization or any of that stuff. It's all boring to them. So, again, you know, a quick notification. So I worked for then secretary, subsequently Vice President Cheney in 2000, 2001. Rick worked for then Secretary of Defense Cheney at the Pentagon. And my dad worked with Cheney when he was conference chair, if it gives you a sense of how far back my family goes. So we just know that we all have connections. And Steve Schmidt worked for the vice president in the White House in the second term. So a lot of connections. But I would say this is that, Tara, I go back to California when McCarthy was a, you know, hail fellow, well met kind of guy. He was always going to be in the minority in the California legislature. So he did what he could for his conference, but he was far from a firebrand. He was far from a crazy. No, he was a mainstream guy like Paul Ryan and those guys. He was part of that clique. He just wasn't as smart as them. Right. He was the young guns, right? It was Paul Ryan and Eric Cantor and Kevin McCarthy, right? They were going to be the new Jack Kemp-ish generation of Republicans. So what does a Kevin McCarthy do? He's standing up there 
We should also note, Tara, as you probably know, like these meetings do not take place in some like grand ornate room. No, right? they're in the basement of the Capitol. So it's like a bomb shelter, <laughs> right? They're all sort of laying all over the place. You know, most of them probably don't even know each other, don't like each other, whatever it is. It smells. What does McCarthy do when he's standing up there? What does Scalise do when they're standing up there trying to control the Lauren Boberts and Paul Gosars of the world? I mean, how is it possible? I mean, they are the zookeepers, but the tigers are outnumbering them like 100 to 1. Right. I mean, does anyone really take Kevin McCarthy seriously as a leader? They all think he's a squish. They know he is. I mean, you mentioned before that he's not completely pure in his fealty to Donald Trump. And the Trumpers know that. Trump knows that. He's just messing with him to see how far he can push him to do his bidding. That's what this is. And McCarthy is being the lapdog and he's getting plagued like a fiddle. It's really sad to watch. I mean, this guy doesn't have the balls to keep those people in line. You think those rabble rousers respect Kevin McCarthy as their leader, that they're going to follow him into battle? No, they're not. This is the Tea Party revolt of the John Boehner speaker thing that happened back in 2015 on steroids. I highly doubt that Kevin McCarthy will end up speaker. In 2022, if, God forbid, Republicans were to win back the House, right, when they come back in 2023 to start the new Congress, you don't think that Jim Jordan and his crew, that they're not going to whip the votes to try to take out McCarthy? They've always thought he was a squish. Always. So they're just putting up with him right now because he's raising the money. He's doing Trump's bidding for now. But we saw how quickly Trump turned on Mitch McConnell and don't think he won't do the same thing to Kevin McCarthy as soon as he slips up or says something wrong or Trump feels like he can discard him now. He's done with him and he'll put his might and muscle behind someone else like a Jim Jordan or a Marjorie Taylor Greene or Boebert or something. Who knows? Just think of the leadership team that could be there for Republicans. Um, Boebert, Taylor Greene, Jim Jordan. God help us. God help well, us. God help us. And thank you for ensuring that I will not sleep. For <laughs> well, that's why we exist, right? Lincoln Project and others, we're out here trying to make sure that that does not happen, that that nightmare is not realized because there's a lot at stake. They are an anti-democratic party. They are no longer a serious party that brings the checks and balances that was intended in a two-party system. Even President Biden was asked during his press conference this week about, you know, this whole flap between Cheney and McCarthy and what's happening there. And he said, he goes, we need a healthy Republican Party, but we don't have that now. This is like a mini revolution going on. And they're a lot further away from where they should be figuring out who they want to be than he thought they would be. Every opportunity they have to off ramp from the crazy train, they haven't. They've gotten back on with more luggage. <laughs> well, just to close out that thought, the president had stopped by a taco joint in Washington, D.C., was asked a similar question and said, I don't understand Republicans. And all I can say is, Mr. President, we totally feel <laughs> All right. Well, listen, just before we run here, this Friday, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates will be hosting their first America First rally in the villages in Florida. Rick, your home state. Florida's friendliest hometown. And Donald Trump will be doing a rally in North Carolina. And so I was hoping that our listeners would tweet at us at Project Lincoln and give us your best ideas for what we should call the MAGA white nationalist America First summer tour of 2021. So, Reed, I, I have a, a quick name for this tour. Yes, please. Between Two Fools. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right. Well, if Zach Galifianakis is out there, please get in touch with us at Project Lincoln, and we would love to have you do a Between Two Fools movie with us. I love it. Also, Rick and I will be doing an IGTV live, 9 p.m. Eastern tonight. I hope you all will tune in. We'll be taking your questions and hope to see you all there. But before then, Tara, where can we find you online? Okay, I'm the easiest to find online because there's only one Tara Setmayer. So as long as you spell my last name right, you can find me at Tara Setmayer, S-E-T-M-A-Y-E-R on Twitter and on Instagram, the Tara Setmayer. Well, and that's for sure. There's only one of you. And Rick, where can we find you? <laughs> I am at the Rick Wilson on Twitter and Instagram. All right. And everyone, you can find me as always on Twitter as well at Reed Galen. And with that, I want to thank Rick and Tara for joining me today. And we will see you all on the next episode. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln, and for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list and subscribe to our newsletter, visit lincolnproject.us. Also, be sure to check out our LPTV lineup, including The Breakdown with Tara Setmayer and Rick Wilson, which airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern, as well as We're Speaking with Lisa Sinical and Maya May, which airs Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern. All shows you can stream live on The Lincoln Project's YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter feeds. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. See you on the next episode. Thank you.